What is happening, everyone? In the aftermath of everything that took place of U at UFC 276, I am Colby Daniels along with Will Brewer. I've been chomping at the bit to talk about everything that went down on Saturday night, International Fight Week, the biggest loaded stacked car of card of the year. Uh, it was sensational. Will Brewer, how are you today, my friend? Man, I'm, yeah, I'm still buzzing from UFC 276. Uh, from top to bottom, there was so many intriguing matchups and. Man, uh, I feel like we have a lot to talk about with with so with pretty much all of these fights, man. So let's get into it. We will uh, obviously make picks for UFC Fight Night RDA versus Fazeev that will take place on Saturday. Uh, but before we do that, we've got to recap. We made a selection for every single fight on the card for Saturday, so uh, we will do our best to at least mention all of these. Not to mention we had an interesting twist last week. Uh, so I, we should probably just start there. In terms of our picks, you had a four-point lead going into UFC 276. We were only on the opposite side of two fights. Max Holloway, Alexander Volkanovsky, which was a five-pointer because it's a championship fight. I had Max, you had Volk. Dominant win, so an additional five points to you there. So that, that puts your lead up to nine. We also disagreed on Brad Tavares, Drickus Duplessis. And I told you last week... That was, for me, the toughest fight on the card to pick. Like, that's how razor-thin I thought the margin was. That fight absolutely delivered. It was it was awesome. And uh, credit to Drickus Duplessis for getting the victory there. But that is a point in your favor as well, which takes you up to 11-point lead. Or, excuse me, from 9 to 10. Uh, not 10 to 11. 9 to 10. But the twist was we had a little mini-draft where we took three fighters. If they won by finish, they got two points. One by decision, they get one point. Uh, lose by decision, you lose a point. Lose by finish, you lose two points. And whoever had the most points at the end of that was going to get bonus five points. Are you aware of, of how that turned out, Will? Absolutely. I'm very aware of how that, of how that turned out. So you took uh, Andre Muniz, who I was shocked, won by decision. I did not think that was going to happen at all. He won by decision, so that was a point for you. You also took Robbie Lawler, who was finished, so a minus two for Robbie Lawler. Robbie Lawler, of all people, Robbie yeah. Lawler got finished, but go ahead. Didn't see, didn't see that one coming. And you took Israel Adesanya, who the, the reason I didn't take him is because I just kind of felt like that was a guaranteed one point, and I wanted to kind of shoot for the, the finishes. He won by decision as well, so one point for Israel Adesanya. So two of your fighters got you a point. Robbie lost you too, so you had an even zero on the evening. I took Didn't even made any picks. <laughs> yeah, I took Ian Gary, who uh, got a finish, so a plus two there. I took Sean O'Malley, and I guess because of the disqualification, we just give that a zero, right? He didn't win, he didn't lose. Uh, it was just a, a no contest. And um, wait, now I'm blanking. Who was the other guy I took? Oh, Alex I took Bahada. Alex. Yeah, Alex Pajeda, who. Um, I mean, maybe the performance of the night for Alex Pajeda. Uh, he gets a finish over Sean Strickland, so nice little four-point swing for me. So uh, I get the five points back that I lost in the Max Volk co-main event. And will you have a lead of five points heading into this weekend's fight night? So I hated that Max lost. Well, for Max and because that was so many points uh, that could have been gained, but I was uh, already basically riding the high of my victory in our little draft that you know I wasn't too upset about it. 
Yeah, it was almost like I shouldn't even made any picks. I mean, I, Muniz was just steady going for this one submission, and I'm like, bro, you have your eye hall on the ground. Like, go ahead and just finish him. Uh, I was I was shocked that um, Brian Barberina finished Robbie Lawler. That was a that was a great fight. I thought Robbie was going to finish him, but uh, Brian just you know started to put it on him there in the in that uh, second round, and uh, Robbie started to get a little started to get a little tired, uh, and then you know. Izzy, I knew that it was going to be a win, whether it was going to be a decision or a finish. You know, I wasn't confident either way, but I was confident in a win. But I thought for sure that I'd be getting a a Robbie finish, a Muniz finish, and an Izzy uh, win. So, I mean, for it to for it to go that way, I was uh, it was pretty underwhelming. But still, uh, it was it was still a great night of fights. Evoke with his performance, you know, we definitely got the five points there, so we're definitely good there. But man, I was like, come on. I, I could have had a ten point lead plus a five like this yeah. could have been I could have been riding high like I, I was gonna I could have been stunting on these picks like man you know what I'm gonna take this week easy and yeah. not even not even try. I mean, look, I, I, if I had had the first pick, I would have taken Muniz as well. I thought that was the biggest guarantee on the card was Muniz getting a finish, and uh, we'll we'll get to that fight because I, I have some opinions on on what happened there. But we have to start with the main event, obviously, for the middleweight championship in the UFC. Israel Adesanya gets the decision over Jared Cannonier. Do you remember what I said about this fight last week? Oh, um, we, we said a lot. What, what, boring Israel Adesanya decision. It's going to be a boring fight. Israel Adesanya <laughs> by decision. Uh, look, I don't know how many people classify this as uh, exciting. Maybe there are some out there. Like, I, I think I, I would say that for the most part, you and I have a pretty high appreciation for what Israel Adesanya does regularly, which is, uh, you know, there's a lot of, of uh, tactical uh, stuff that happens there. And, you know, that, that doesn't always necessarily generate the, the most um, appealing fights uh, in terms of just wild exchanges and big shots landing. Uh, but, you know, this, this kind of went exactly the way I thought it was going to go. No real surprises to me. I thought Israel Adesanya would easily win this fight, which, look, I, I thought he easily did. I know that, you know, on the broadcast, they were making the case for Jared to win multiple rounds, but uh, this was a, a easy Israel Adesanya, coast to a win uh, type of fight. That's exactly what he did. He was never in danger. Uh, just, you know, fought his fight, right? He did what Izzy does, and that's, uh, you know, pick his spots, uh, use his distance management and arsenal of weapons, and never really put himself at risk of, of Jared Cannonier landing anything dangerous. And Israel Adesanya continues to be the gold standard of the middleweight division by what seems like a, a giant margin compared to everybody that we've seen face him to this point. Yeah, man. Um, I thought that this would be a, a tougher challenge for Izzy because I thought Jared would uh, would go for it more. But, uh, you know, Jared was kind of doing the same thing. I mean, I, I feel like he wasn't trying to to bait he wasn't trying to do anything stupid like uh costa and romero did but um he was basically playing izzy's game man it was uh it was a it was a a battle of technique it seemed like uh jared didn't really go for it um and if you're gonna play that game with izzy i mean you're gonna lose every time i mean if you're gonna play chess with a guy uh as smart as izzy who play who who uh, manages distance so well uh, who has a counter for basically everything? Who can hit you from so far away? I mean, it's uh, Jared needed to go for it a lot more, and uh, you, you expected him to, especially when he's down, when the rounds are piling up. Um, I only gave him uh, 
possibly one round, which is the third round. But other than that, it was a easy, clean sweep for me. I'm I'm not uh, mad at any of the judges' scorecards. Uh, 50, 45, 49, 46 times two. So, yeah, I, I would have expected Jerry to go for it more. But um, I, I guess when if you try to go for it and you, you see what happened to Robert Whitaker the first time, you see what happened to Paulo Costa and everything. But I don't know, man. I just, I just would have thought that Jared uh, would be a little bit more – uh, smart tactically and everything. I I, I don't know, man. Yeah. I, I don't know what Jared saw. Um, of course, Izzy's a puzzle, but definitely thought uh, Jared would have went for it more with this being his uh, his uh, only his first title shot and possibly his only title shot, depending on how the fight went. Uh, that's that's not a performance that that gets you um, back into a title opportunity quick. So I would have thought that Jared would go for it more, but uh, just. Yeah. You know, AZ, AZ knew what to do if Jared's just going to, you know, play that game. So, easy win for Izzy. I had it 50-45. I gave Izzy every round. Um, you know, that was Izzy's fight. Like, that's exactly what I think ideally he wants to happen. And to your point, I mean, you if you don't go after him in the first round and try and land something big, there's no point in even being in there, right? Like, you're going to collect the payday. But, like, the reality is in terms of just the what, what the fight is going to look like, if you're a guy like Jared Cannonier, that, look, I mean, I, I, I don't think he's – like super skilled, right? Like the thing that makes him special is his power, period. Israel Adesanya is arguably the most skilled middleweight ever. I mean, in terms of just, you know, his defense and his his distance management and the arsenal of weapons and like, especially in comparison to the guys that we're seeing him fight, like it's apples to oranges in terms of like the overall skill set. And for these guys that just have the knockout power, like if you're going to fight Izzy's fight, then what's the point? Like, yeah, maybe you get knocked out, but... You know, Paulo Costa, I felt like, waited too long. Like, he let his leg get completely oh, mangled man. before he went forward and, and tried to use his power. Like, you've got to do it early, and you've got to go after it, because I feel like the biggest misconception with Izzy is his power, right? Like, we all remember when Derek Brunson was calling him, you know, a, a skinny guy that had no power, and, like, that kind of became, like, what he was known for. But he obviously knocked out Brunson, right? He's knocked out Whitaker. He's knocked, he finished Paulo. Like, the guy has some power. And here's the other thing. When that was being thrown around, look at the size of Israel Adesanya then, and look at the size of Izzy now. Dude, his neck is massive. Like, Izzy is no longer a skinny guy. Like, he is a big dude in there. On top of being, like, a foot taller than everybody inside the octagon, he's gotten to the point that just from a size standpoint, he looks the part. Like, there is nothing small about Israel Adesanya or skinny or, like, not powerful at this point. Like, he's put in the work... And he's, I don't want to say transformed his body, but as he's gotten older, he's matured into his body. And that's a big guy in there. That's not some, you know, skinny, like, like the way that Kevin Durant is viewed in the NBA. Like that's not a Kevin Durant inside the octagon. Like he has gained a lot of weight and a lot of muscle from where he was three or four years ago to where he is now. And, and I feel like still, for some reason, people don't value the power that's coming back at them. And maybe part of this will is the first time they get hit by something, they're shocked by the power coming their way, and maybe that backs them off. I don't know. Yeah, you're, you're right. You're 100% right, man. You have to go after him early. Um, it, like, that's why I thought that Jared would go after him in the first two rounds. That's why I thought that the first two rounds would be so intriguing. Uh, and then that's, I think that's when you said, like, I expect this to be a boring <laughs> Izzy fight. But, like, think back to when he fought Kelvin uh, Gastelum. Kelvin's at a huge height disadvantage. But Kelvin went after him uh, in a very strategic, skilled way. He touched Izzy in the first round, uh, uh, dropped him, and that changed. That that basically set the tone of the entire fight. Like Izzy was so surprised that Kelvin got to him, and then we got we got a war out of that. And since then, 
Of course, Izzy's made adjustments, and he's he's barely been touched since that Kelvin fight. Let's like let's call it what it is. He's barely been touched. Like Rob tried to do the same thing the ne- the very next fight, and Rob got knocked out. Um, since then, no one's really been trying. No one's really tried to to take it to him. And I thought that Jared would be that guy because, I mean, Izzy's tall, but you know Jared Jared's about six one, six two. He's got long arms. I kind of felt like Jared could have could have found a way to get inside and land something crazy, but. Uh, he just he just never went for it, man. Um, yeah, you're you're right, man. Izzy has gotten a lot bigger, uh, especially after that uh, that Yan fight. Like, um, look at even if you look at Izzy after the the Yan fight, he was still he, you could see he was getting a little bigger, but it yeah. wasn't like it is now. But yeah. like when he came back to fight uh, to fight Rob, and I remember we were looking at the the media day pictures, and we were like, geez, like he has gotten he has put on some size, like. Uh, yeah, Izzy definitely looks the part. He looks like he could easily be a, a 205-pound fighter right now. Uh, these these guys at 185, like Robert Whitaker looked small compared to Izzy. Uh, and even Jerry Cannonier on fight day looked a lot smaller than uh, than Izzy. So he's definitely been putting the work in. So, uh, you know, I think a lot of these guys, man, I mean, outside of the person who we're going to talk about later, I feel like this is what it's going to look like. Uh yeah. These these guys who who are train, training MMA and everything, if you're not able to get him down, if you're going to be playing a striking game with Israel Adesanya, I, that's what you're going to get. Yeah, you're going to lose. And look, I I wonder also. You mentioned the Kelvin fight, which is a, a great point. Like Kelvin is one of the toughest dudes in the UFC, right? Like you can hit Kelvin with everything, and he's still going to be there. So maybe he's Izzy's also been unfairly judged by not not putting away Kelvin, you know, hitting Kelvin with the entire arsenal. And and, you know, Kelvin's still coming for more. And maybe people have the impression like he's not powerful because of that. But I mean, that to me is more of Kelvin being tough as hell than anything on Izzy. I don't know. There's just for some reason, I just don't think anybody values how, um, you know, how much power is behind his shots. And I'm not trying to sh- suggest that he's Jared Cannonier by any means, but um, there's more than enough there for anybody to, to have to respect him from that standpoint. But but look, like, look at how Izzy strikes. He's not striking to put you out right. to put your lights out right. it's it's mostly these jabs like the only time he's really putting power behind his shots is if is if you're rushing in and then he puts power behind the shots but mostly it's just he's touching you up right. uh leg kicking you to death body kicks like he's not really uh, throwing anything at you that's super super powerful so i think that's another layer to this that people don't really understand yeah absolutely um, we will, usually we talk about what's next. Let's save that for a moment because we've got another middleweight fight to talk about that I think we all viewed as a number one contender fight. So we will swing back to the middleweight division in a moment and talk about Alex Bejeda, Sean Strickland, and the next matchup for the 185 belt. The co-main event was Alexander Volkanovsky and Max Holloway for featherweight supremacy. Uh, look, in my mind, going into this fight, these are the two greatest featherweights in UFC history. Um, again, no matter how you feel about the first fight or the second fight, um, insanely close. It needed a trilogy. And in the trilogy, Will, Alexander Volkanovsky absolutely dominated. This was a 50-45 for me. I didn't think it was close at all. Uh, I mean, and, and you know, I have, I have a couple of opinions here. Number one, I think Alexander Volkanovsky has just shown how much better he's getting fight after fight after fight, right? Like, we're seeing the growth inside the octagon. Like, every time he's in there, he just looks significantly better. On the flip side of that, Max Holloway was not Max Holloway in that fight. And I don't I, like I don't feel like Alexander Volkanovsky's advancements meant like Max is not as good anymore. I just felt like Max just seemed off from the opening bell of this fight, right? He seemed I mean, even before we all noticed Volk's quickness, 
like Max quickness didn't seem to be there in terms of his striking. His rhythm didn't seem to be there. He never really settled into a groove, never really like let loose. And I, I think he was probably just in his head because he felt like he had won both of the first two fights, but didn't get the decision. And I think he was trying to be very calculated in this fight. And I thought that was a detriment. Max just never fought a Max fight here. And by the time he finally started to unleash, he was so far behind. He was cut at that point and was just getting beat up that it really didn't matter. Yeah, um, I, I think a lot of that just has to do with, uh, with with Volk, man. Like like you said, Volk has gotten so much better every fight. Uh, he's, he's adding new wrinkles to his game. Uh, and when you're playing a chess match with a guy like Volkanovski, uh, who's hard to hit, who's very, very fast, very powerful. Um, you have to have, like, Max doesn't really have much power behind his shots. You know, he's a, he's a guy that touches you up and everything. But if, if you're trying to advance and close on Alexander, like, there's a lot of there's a lot of pop that comes that goes behind his punches, along with a lot of technique, man. Uh, and I, I think Max, he did look a step slower, I will say that. But whenever he seemed to advance, like, it just seemed like Volk just knew, like, everything that Max had, uh, coming uh, coming his way uh everything that max was going to show him it seemed like alex just had it down to a t and from there it just didn't seem like max knew what to do after yeah. that like he max is still tough he's going to keep going forward like there's there's nothing that you can do to stop max from coming forward but alex just had the answer every time max tried to engage and whenever max tried to engage there was three four shots coming back his way and that's something that max hasn't seen before you know in in, in 15 rounds with volk I think there's only been there's only been like three rounds where Max has gotten to fight his fight. Outside of that, like it's been Volkanovski uh, by a by a mile. I mean, and, and especially this fight. This was five zero wipeout. Uh, Volk just just had his way, and Volk was was talking to him, you know, like like, "Oh, I'm fast, I'm faster than you. You didn't see that one coming." And and Max just had no answer. It, it was it was shocking to see. I do think uh, that Max beats any other featherweight so i don't want to hear people say like max is done he's retired oh, yeah, that's ridiculous. uh in terms of uh of the volkanovsky side of things i think that part's done but i think that's this wasn't the best version of max holloway but max holloway still has a lot left in the tank just volk yeah. was just is just a better guy and we saw that in spades uh on saturday like three zero like there's nothing that you can say anymore yeah I mean, even before, I, like, my point about Max even applies before they really started exchanging. Like, and I just felt like there was no spring in his legs in the, you know, early, like, minute, two minutes of that fight before, you know, they even started landing anything. He just seemed slow, didn't just never seem to really, like, have that extra gear that he usually has. And I also did feel like, I mean, throughout the fight, he was... Uh, so, like, I get that Volk is, has, is just a tough matchup for him, period. And that's been the case in the first two fights as well. But I felt like he was even more reserved in terms of just letting loose in this one than he was in the first two. And then to your, your point about Volk, like, we continue to see the advancements. And I think the combination of, of Max, you know, for whatever it was, maybe, maybe the legs just weren't there. Um, maybe, you know, he was being super cautious because he didn't have the answers to the puzzle. Uh, combined with Volk's quickness that I, I thought was shockingly more drastic in this one than either of the first two and just everything that he is at this point like it was that was that was absolutely incredible to the point that like you can legitimately have the conversation about where Volk belongs on the pound for pound list right that was such a dominant win against somebody that going into that fight we were saying this is for featherweight supremacy in terms of legacy to to completely dominate a fight like that that had that much on the line to me is I mean, that's what this sport's about. It's about having those shining moments 
on the biggest stage you can possibly get, because a trilogy fight with Max Holloway is as big as it's possibly going to get. Uh, maybe short of, I mean, even even if you beat Connor, right? Like that's still, it's Connor. It's a big payday, but it's not the ch it's not the same challenge. Like I don't know that there would be anything more challenging in terms of Volk fighting a guy that has the legacy that Max has, fighting him still while Max at his peak, uh, and doing that. I mean, that was that was incredible, absolutely incredible for Volk. Yeah, man. Like um, automatically, you start thinking about where he ranks on the pound for pound list because. I mean, credit to Usman and, and Izzy for for their title reigns and everything, but neither one of those guys have beaten anybody on the pound-for-pound pound list. Like, Alexander Volkanovsky just wiped out Max Holloway three times, and Max Holloway's literally, like, ranked seventh, sixth or seventh on the pound-for-pound pound list himself. Yeah, he dropped two spots, so he's eighth now, yeah. Right, so at the, yeah, so at the time, he's he's number six, and Volk is, was number two or three. So, like, that's a that's as good of a pound-for-pound pound matchup as you're going to as you're gonna see. And and Volk just completely wiped him out, yeah. uh, and it and it was not even close. So, I mean, I don't know where I would go as far as the pound for pound list. I think you can go. I mean, I don't think there's a way that you could be wrong because uh, all three of these guys are just have proven that they're special. But uh, I mean, we're gonna have to start giving Volk the respect he deserves. Like, we're gonna have to start giving this guy main events on pay per views. You know, um, this matchup should have been a, a main event in my mind. But <clears throat> yeah, Volk is he's he's so talented. He's so good. It's going to be tough for anybody to beat him because he's so he's so tough to hit. And it's crazy that he's so tough to hit because he's so small. Yeah. But he's so tough to hit. He's so fast. There's a lot of power that comes behind his shots. Um, for me, I don't think there's, there's – after seeing what he just did to Max, I, I don't think that there's anybody that's going to offer him anything at 145. You have to have, like, a lot of power behind your shots. Like, if, if, you're, if you're a Josh Emmett, like, of course, you're, you have the most knockouts or whatever. So, like, that's – that's what would make it intriguing for me. Uh, Arnold Allen is is pretty skilled, but like if we're talking about skilled and, and putting that against Volkanovski, like I'm not picking anybody in terms of skill over him. Then you got like Henry Cejudo who's trying to fight him still, and um, uh, yeah, Ortega and Yair winner. Like none of these fights for me. Like it, it'll be fine. Like if, if Volk wants to be active, just to continue to wipe out this division. But there's no other fight out there that I'm just like, ooh, that's just going to be a tough one for Volk yeah. at Featherweight. Yeah, the gap. Well, I mean, I felt that way before this fight took place on Saturday night. The gap between Volk and Max and then everybody else is so significant. And look, we've given this division a lot of credit for, uh, you know, how good we've seen a lot of these guys perform over the last couple years and how, how much better and improved a lot of these guys in the current top 15 at 145 are. But once again, like it's on display as to what that gap looks like at the very top. And then for Volk to even extend that gap with a completely dominant win over not just the next best guy in the division now, but the next best guy in the history of the division. Uh, yeah, it's 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 wild to me. And look, that brought up the point of like, what do you do with Volk next? And a lot of people feel like go up to 155 and fight Charles Oliveira. I, I, I really wanted to get your take on this because I, I don't know where you would stand here. I think that's an awful matchup for Alexander Volkanovsky. Um, I, 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 I feel like Charles would be a pretty decent favorite in that matchup. But I, look, I'm here for it. I mean, he's been so dominant, and you can make the argument right now he deserves to be number one on the pound-for-pound pound list. Uh, if they wanted to make that fight, I'm geeked about it. But I really wouldn't be torn too much as to who I would pick in that fight. Yeah, so here, here's my take on it. Uh, I'm going to use Max as an example. Uh, skill for skill, of course, Alexander Volkanovsky is better than Max. He's, he's going to be better than a majority of the of the lightweights, uh, just skill for skill. But what Max doesn't have that the lightweights 
a lot of them at the top do have is power. Max has volume and everything, but uh, he doesn't have that power to change the fight. But when we did see Max offer up some shots that uh, that were powerful in that second fight, Alex got dropped, and Alex kind of didn't really have anything for Max until he started taking the fight to the ground. Now, if we're talking about going up to 155, we're talking about Poirier. We're talking about Gaethje. We're talking about Charles Oliveira. We're talking about Islam, Benil Dariush, Michael Chandler. Like, if if Volk is so much better than these guys with skill, which he's going to be better than a lot of the guys skill for skill, but these guys have the power to change the fight. And in a matchup just with Charles Oliveira, for example, we just saw Charles Oliveira rock Justin Gaethje with his first punch, the very first punch. And sure, Volk says, I'm not going to let Charles do that. Like, it's easy for you to just say that. And you, you've proven to be very, very skilled. But if that's going to be a majority of a stand-up fight, like, we know Charles is going to be pressuring him, like, the, the entire time. He just runs and gets in your face. Charles is going to land something eventually. Like, and if he doesn't, Vol- he's going to get you on the ground, and then it's it's done. And, and it's over. So, yeah. like, I respect uh, Volk's skill, but... When we're going up to 155, we're talking about guys who've got the power to change the trajectory of the fight. Max doesn't have that. Um, the Korean Zombie uh, didn't have like he his skill level was so much further down than Volks. It was just it was wild. Like that's the fight that we're going to see a, a majority of the time. But I, I mean, I would love to see Volk go up, but I'm not just I'm not easily going to say like, oh yeah, that Volk's going to become the, yeah. the the double champion. Uh, there's a lot of guys who are going to give him a lot of problems. And he's not going to go up for anything but a title shot, right? Like, he's not going to go up and just fight some random 155, or even if it is Justin Gaethje or Dustin Poirier. Like, he's only going to fight at 155 if if it's for a belt. Exactly. Yeah. And what I was going to say is, like, when when you go into these lightweight fights, I think that's when his size disadvantage is actually going to come into play because these guys are so big. Like, we're not talking about the Max Holloway. We're talking about Max Holloway. Um, like Like, Charles Oliveira is Max's size. But bigger, uh, with power, with skills on the ground, like these these guys at lightweight aren't going to be easy for Volk. But I would love to see him try. And but yeah, I mean, there's no champion right now. And like, um, <laughs> I just saw before we got on here, uh, Islam calling out Michael Chandler for a title fight because uh, yeah. Charles is you know all over the place. So I don't know what what's even going to happen with that. Um, I hope we get some clarity soon with the lightweight division. But I would love to see Volk go up uh, sometime soon. I have a hard time with Michael Chandler getting a title shot at this point, just like I do with Connor. But look, Connor at least deserves it, right? Like, from just from a legacy standpoint, like Michael Chandler puts on great fights. But come on, are we putting Michael Chandler back in a title fight right now? If and especially if Charles Oliveira isn't in it, like that that would really bother me. Yeah, I mean, I think there's no you can't book a lightweight title fight without Charles in it after what happened. Uh, in what month was that? May or May, or whatever. Yeah. You can't book that. And, and Dana even said, like, if Charles wins, he's the number one guy yeah. and he's going to fight for the title next. Like, you can't go back on that. Yeah. And he, he beat Justin Gaethje in a round. Like, it's. Who, uh, who does that? Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> How far down the 155 list would you have to go before you would feel like either it's a really close fight or you would favor Volk? Because I was thinking about this earlier, I wouldn't favor him against Oliveira or Poirier or Gaethje or Islam or Chandler. I don't know that I'd favor him over Dariush. And then you have RDA at seven, but like Gamrot to me was the first one where I I thought to myself, like Gamrot to me would be the one I'd want to see him against just to have an idea of like where he is. 
Because that would be the first one I feel like I wouldn't think there was a significant advantage for the 155er. You know, low-key, man, um, I actually think, I don't know if I would favor him in this matchup, but I think this is a very winnable fight, is uh, Vulcan Michael Chandler. I think out of all the lightweights uh, that are in the top 15, um, especially the ones at the top, he matches up very, very well with Michael Chandler. And, of course, Chandler has the the yeah. power, but, like, in terms of size, that's a very favorable matchup for Volk uh, instead of, like, who who else he could fight. Um, I think he could, he could probably beat Tony Ferguson uh, at this point, at this stage. I think him and RDA would be uh, would be pretty dope. Um, I don't know if I would favor Volk, but I think that's a very winnable fight. Um, yeah, I, in terms of actually favoring him, I think uh, Gamrot is uh, probably probably be the one. But I, I I'm not sure about Chan. I think uh, that would probably be a toss up in my mind. Uh, either way, uh, Alexander Volkanovsky at least deserves conversation for the number one pound-for-pound pound fighter in the UFC. And certainly there is zero debate at this point that he is, uh, I feel like by a pretty decent margin now, the greatest featherweight to ever grace the octagon. All right, so the third fight uh, on, or the third uh, third from the end, whatever, Alex Bejeda over Sean Strickland in the middleweight division. Um you know, we I, I loved this the idea of this fight. Um, we we knew that they wanted to fast track Alex. We also knew that Sean Strickland was very close to a title shot. It just makes all the sense in the world that the winner of this fight, especially if it's done in spectacular fashion, is getting the title opportunity next. So there was a, a massive amount of significance for uh, this fight and the outcome. I will tell you that when this fight started, I was somewhat torn because while the majority of me really wants to see Israel Adesanya and Alex Bejeda fight in the octagon, I think that's the best matchup you can possibly get in the middleweight division at the highest level. There was a part of me that wanted to see Sean Strickland get a win, if for no other reason than the buildup to that fight would have been sensational with Sean Strickland and Israel Adesanya if last week's press conference was any, any, I mean, small percentage of what you would get if those two guys were actually fighting each other. All that said, uh, I think we were both solidly on Alex Bejeda winning this fight, which he absolutely did, Will, and good Lord, like, it was spectacular, and I immediately was like, all right, let's do it. I, I kind of wanted Izzy to win in, like, 60 seconds, so maybe they would just say, like, let's let these guys fight tonight, right? <laughs> oh, yeah, that would have been dope. Um, man, uh, yeah, I mean... Sean Strickland, <clears throat> just the, what he does great, uh, Alex Bejeda just does better. Um, and we we knew, like, if Sean Strickland's going to have a chance to uh, to win this fight, uh, that he needed to get this fight to the ground. And, you know, I even thought, like, maybe maybe he'll surprise us with his stand-up. But uh, I definitely didn't think that he would be standing with him that long. Um, uh, I definitely thought he would shoot. I mean, this fight lasted two minutes. I thought after maybe 45 seconds to a minute he'd try to shoot. But... Uh, it, it, it looked like, you know, he was going to fight him just like how he's been fighting these last, like, throughout his winning streak. He was just going to go out there and try to be defensively responsible and, uh, uh, you know, try to outpoint him and everything. But, yeah, if you're going to try that with Alex Pajeda, who's got, who's got a left hand from hell, a left hand that's dropped Izzy before, who's that, a left hand that's gotten him uh, glory middleweight and light heavyweight titles and everything, uh, that's just not a good recipe for Sean Strickland. So I definitely thought he should have wrestled, but... Uh, we saw what we saw, man, and we we know Alex Mahedda is a is a massive massive problem. I mean, the UFC did this right. I mean, if you're gonna fast track him, they gave him the right matchups. Yep. Uh, they gave him the right guy. 
in the top five to go up against um, because, you know, Sean Strickland doesn't wrestle like that. So they definitely gave him some favorable matchups. And now and now we're here, man. I mean, I don't know what they have. I'm sure Alex is ranked now. I don't know what they have him ranked, but there's no other matchup um, that I would rather see uh, Izzy and Alex. I mean, Izzy's beating everybody else. And we, we, we've got the storyline behind it with Alex having beat Izzy twice in kickboxing. Um, and just the style of the fight, there's – Everyone's been talking about how boring these fights have been with Izzy. Uh, put him in there with Alex Pajeda. This is a guy that does what Izzy does. Yeah. But he's he's coming at you to kill you while Izzy's coming to touch you up. So the, the contrast of the styles, I mean, it's just it's going to make for a pretty awesome fight. The build's going to be great. Uh, I mean, let's, make, let's book this fight immediately. I'm glad you mentioned the rankings because I was going to bring this up, but I'd forgotten. Alex Pajeda moved up to number six behind... Whitaker, Cannoneer, Vittori, Brunson, and Costa in that order. Which, Sean Strickland was number four. four. Um, yeah, he was four. Like, So, Alex moved above Strickland, but still behind some of the people that were ranked behind Strickland before that fight. And it, I don't know, I just I was like, just move him up to the top, like, three. Like, well, come yeah. on. That's so ridiculous. <laughs> yeah. um, like, why is he... I mean, the guy is just a buzzsaw right now, and... Dude, I'm I will I'm geeked right now. I'm just gonna tell you, like I'm geeked for whenever this fight ultimately takes place. I don't know when they're gonna book it, but here's the thing: barring injury, we know this is what's next. It's going to be Israel Adesanya. It's going to be Alex Pajeda. Israel Adesanya at 185 looks virtually invincible, right? Like the guy can just fight, you know, again, boring fights, if you will, because he's that much better than everybody else that there's no there's no need for him to even risk anything. He can just he can win by such decisive margins fighting these types of fights that it doesn't make sense for him to, to fight fire fights. Alex Pajeda will make him fight that kind of fight, or at least Alex Pajeda is going to fight that kind of fight. And you can either choose to fight that kind of fight, or you can be on the Sean Strickland side of it, right? Like he's going to be throwing shots that have a lot of power behind them. And will, there is a ton of power behind Alex Pajeda shots. Like you can tell that the impact of his shots are just on another level. Yeah, man. Uh, that is a scary individual, Alex Pajeda, man. Uh, I mean, 6'4 and a half. I mean, just he, he just looks like a killer. I mean, the, yeah. the, the tattoos, like Brazilian, like this guy looks like a killer. And then like th these left hands that he that he puts on people, man, like uh, watching. I remember I watched some of his kickboxing highlights before he debuted. And these guys are, are literally like it looks like he killed him when he hit when he lands a, a, a left like that. And the same thing happened with the, with Sean Strickland. Yeah. Um, he he's a he's a problem for for even Izzy because he can get to Izzy in a way that nobody else can. He can he can land a power shot where nobody else hasn't been able to in so many fights. Um, like Izzy's not going to be able to 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 distance manage against Alex Mahara because Alex is just as tall as him. Legs is just as tall, long as his. Reach is just as long as his. Like there's no there's no real way for Izzy to be safe in this fight where he's played it pretty safe in these last few fights. The only thing that I wonder is if Izzy will try to wrestle. I, I don't, I'm not sure. I'm not sure if he'll do it. But, I mean, he, he's talked a lot about submissions and, and grappling and all that stuff. So I, I wonder if he brings that out. Or I wonder if um, he's trying to get just – he wants to get that back. You know, because this is the only guy who's knocked Izzy unconscious. Um, so I'm excited for this fight, man. I, I think they should book it for MSG in November. Neither one of these guys took any damage. I mean, that would be a great fight to put uh, in Madison Square Garden. Let's make it happen. I, I did see people tweeting on Saturday night that, you know, this is MMA. It's not kickboxing. And 
Israel Adesanya should just uh, take this fight to the ground, which, I mean, yeah, I guess that there's that path, right? Like, sometimes I feel like people just forget, like, you've got to get it there. Like, it's not like you can just, like, tell the guy, hey, let's take this to the mat, right? Like, if you are not super skilled in doing that, which I would guess that he's more skilled than Alex on the ground, but, like, if you're not super skilled at getting the fight to the ground probably going to get knocked out trying to make that happen right like especially against a striker like this so you know and again you're you're also i mean if you want to that would be this would be a giant legacy fight as well like we just talked about with the with the featherweight trilogy like is israel adesanya going to put his entire legacy on doing something that is not like his strength right like he i I feel like if if his legacy is on the line he's going to try and fight his fight because i i think he probably does feel like he's better in that regard than than Pereira but I mean I, I don't know maybe maybe the two losses also is like uh this is the boogeyman for him maybe maybe he senses that I don't know I couldn't get a, I didn't really feel like I had a good read on how he how he feels like he would do it in this fight but he obviously I give him a ton of credit because he wants the toughest fights he's not trying to dodge this at all he he, he said immediately to Joe Rogan right like we know what's next like, we don't have to do any of the bullshit, like, musical chairs. Like, this is the fight to make. It's the only fight to make. And it's the only fight that anybody is going to spend time paying attention to because nothing else in this division makes sense. Yeah, I mean, we've seen already. I mean, Izzy has defended the title five times. It's been, this is what it's been. Um, Izzy just basically, you know, playing chess with these guys. And, and none of these guys know what to do or how to approach um, Izzy. But, like, in terms of the grappling, like, you're right. Izzy's not a guy. I don't. I don't really think Izzy's ever like even shot a takedown in the UFC. And if he if he tries to shoot a takedown with Alex Mahedo, like what does that even look like? A guy who who manages distance and everything, like trying to shoot a takedown and everything, is is what does that even look like? Yeah. And then on top of that, like Alex Mahedo, he's training with Glover Teixeira on a daily basis. This is and Glover has looked amazing as of late. He just uh, was light heavyweight champion. He just was about to retain the title uh, against a crazy uh, striker. He was 28 seconds away from retaining the title. Like this is a guy who's 42 years old, and Alex is just is just getting gaining knowledge uh, from him on, on a daily basis. He yeah. he even moved his uh, moved his family out to Connecticut where they train. So Alex is just continu- to continuously getting better in that area. So who's to say like that Alex isn't better than Izzy? Or if if not better, I know Izzy probably has more experience because he's been doing it longer. But who's to say that Alex isn't already as good right. at grappling than Izzy? So if that's the case, then we're we're right back at a kick ba- at, a, at a, a kickboxing match because that's what these two guys do the best is kickbox. And I know people say this is MMA, which that just adds layers to this. But I kind of expect this to just just to be a kickboxing match. Hundred percent. Yeah, these guys are going to do what got them to this point, right? And uh, may the best man win. And look, I am all here for it because I think for the first time. Since Israel Adesanya, I mean, I, I, you know, I feel like he's been pretty close to invincible for a while, uh, but there's not been a single moment in his title reign where I felt like he was anybody was even close to putting him, like no matter who you gave him. I didn't feel like anybody could even win a couple rounds off of him, much less like actually beat him. This is the first time that I genuinely think like not only could he be beat, but this guy could finish him, right? Like, th- absolutely. This is uh, this is the perfect matchup you could make for the 185 division that Israel Adesanya has basically been doing laps around. All right, so welterweights, we, we knew that this was going to be potentially a fight of the night candidate. Robbie Lawler and Brian Barberena, how could it be anything but potentially a fight of the night candidate? 
for as long as it lasted, Will, which it lasted a lot longer than I thought it was going to. Uh, this thing had nothing but fireworks. It was incredible. Uh, Robbie Lawler just seemed to be chugging along, right? I mean, fighting his fight. I know Brian Barberena threw an incredible amount of shots. I mean, the output was was disgusting from Barberena, but I mean, he wasn't landing. I mean, he did land a couple of significant shots, but most of those um, were just touches, right? I mean, Robbie Lawler in the early stage of this fight was landing all the big shots, and it just seemed like there was one shot that, that completely changed the fight, and Robbie Lawler just never really found his legs after that big shot was delivered, and ultimately Brian Barberena finds his way to a finish. Yeah, man, I was I was pretty shocked that that happened because Robbie did look really, really good. Uh, it was going how I expected it to go. Robbie was kind of having his way, piecing him up. But um, Brian just stayed the course, man. Uh, uh, and then in the second round, he started landing big shots. And then, yeah, like you said, Robbie's legs just didn't seem like they were under him. I mean, he's tough. He's tough as hell, so he's going to stay in it. Uh, he tried to put a, a poker face on like he wasn't hurt, but you could just tell he wasn't moving right uh, he wasn't moving forward. That yeah. was the thing that struck me. He was moving backwards. So that's when I knew, like, he's probably hurt. And then Brian was landing these short elbows. And uh, uh, then, like, once he knew he had him hurt, just started to tee off. It was pretty shocking to see Robbie get finished like that. Um, when when that happens, it kind of makes me think, like, man, like, you know, maybe, maybe it's time for Robbie to call it a day, man. But uh, he did look so good uh, at the beginning of the fight. That, and we knew that what this fight was, that either one of these guys could be finished. Um, but... I mean, it was a great performance by both guys. Just Brian just outlasted him, man. Um, uh, and it was very worthy of getting fight of the night for sure. Yeah, it, it, I was uh, the whole like, you know, from Gladiator, are you not entertained? I was entertained from the moment that fight started until the moment it ended. It absolutely delivered everything that we all knew it was going to. So the main card starts with Sean O'Malley and Pedro Munoz. Will, um, I, this was a fight that we thought was going to be a ton of fun. Um, I, we both picked Sean O'Malley to win the fight. I gave round one to Pedro. I, I don't know how you scored it, but I, I legitimately thought Pedro was winning the fight when the eye poke happened. I, I hate the amount of people that because Sean O'Malley's such a big star, uh, think that, you know, Pedro's faking, uh, an injury and like all of the bullshit that we've seen attached to the stoppage. Look, I hated the stoppage. I was, I, 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 I've been looking forward to this fight. I, it was so disappointing that we didn't get to see a conclusion to this fight. But first of all, Pedro Munoz is one of the most durable, tough, all-in-for-a-brawl guys in that entire division. Uh, so I, I, I doubt very seriously Pedro's going to take the easy way out, much less take the easy way out in a fight that he won round one in. Like, I, I, he invested in those leg kicks, and I thought it got him the first round. I do think Sean O'Malley was ahead in the second round to the point that the fight stopped, but you have no idea how that fight is ultimately going to end in the second round or the third. But if we just go to the rounds that were scored, I had Pedro 1-0, and who knows where that thing goes. But unfortunately, we didn't get to see the finish. I, I hated that for Pedro. I hated that for Sean O'Malley because he has a lot of momentum. He's finally getting an elite guy. Uh, and, you know, what are we talking about if, if he ultimately gets a win versus the no contest for Sean O'Malley? I mean, maybe that is the biggest storyline coming from this card. It sucks that this fight didn't end, but all the bullshit about, you know, Pedro being soft and all, like, get out of here with that. Yeah, and, that, and that's all that's only happening because Sean O'Malley is such a big star and everybody wanted to see him win. Uh, it, it's a very disappointing finish to, to a fight that had so much riding on it. Uh, but, yeah, Pedro is a guy who's proven over the last couple years, how tough, how durable he is. I mean, why would he want out of a fight that he was winning? Right. <laughs> I mean, he he won round one, in my mind, and, and then on two of the judges' scorecards, he won round one, round one. You know, it just seemed like Sean O'Malley didn't wasn't very active. It, it did seem like he was starting to turn it up in the second round, 
but in the first round it was uh pedro and his leg kicks and yeah. and o'malley didn't really have didn't really seem like he knew uh, how he wanted to attack and then he started to get going in the second round but yeah i mean pedro has fought aldo like the list is crazy like, i don't even want to get to everyone that he's fought but like to suggest that pedro will want out of a fight with sean o'malley on international fight week like yeah. i think pedro has way too much respect for the sport one of the nicest guys and then he he even took to the internet to social media uh to show like his doctor uh the doctor slip and everything that you know he had a scratch cornea or whatever like he didn't have to do that like fuck what these people say right. like that's what i think but you know pedro's uh, I mean, he, he's a he's a gamer. I mean, and to suggest that he would want out, that's just crazy. Uh, I feel like that's just a bunch of casuals talking who just know Sean O'Malley from uh, highlights and stuff. But, yeah, Pedro's not that guy that would want out. Um, I, I hope that they run this back. I don't really feel like there's any other way for Sean O'Malley to go right now. You, you can't really push him forward because he didn't win, uh, and Pedro did win the first round. Uh, I hope that they run this back maybe at a, a Fight Night Man event or put it back on another pay-per-view whenever Pedro gets healthy. But um, I definitely think that this is a fight that should be ran back because that there's still so many questions that need to be answered. Yeah. I, I think at this point, Sean O'Malley only fights on pay-per-view cards, so I would assume it would have to be on a pay-per-view card. Um, but yeah, Pedro was winning, and look, I mean, I, I, I had Sean O'Malley ahead in the second round to the point that this thing stopped, but that's not to say that, I mean, Pedro invested in the leg kicks, right? Like, that was going to become a factor in this fight, whether that took place at some point in the second round or that was a factor in the third round. The investment was going to pay off in some way because either Sean O'Malley wasn't going to be able to be as active or, you know, the damage becomes so significant that he's having to play. Like, I don't know how it becomes, but Pedro had made that investment that was at least going to impact the way the fight was ultimately going to play out in some way. He, I, he's not getting out of a fight that in a sport where he's never even been finished, right? The guy's never been put away and he's fought the who's who of the bantamweight division and been in brawl after brawl after brawl. Um yeah, run it back. I'm I'm all in on running it back. Uh, but and, and here's the other thing: Pedro's on a losing streak. Like he's he's a top ten bantamweight in the world. You know, the deepest division in the world. He's a top ten guy in that division, and he's on a losing streak. He has something to prove. He's not trying to get out of a fight. He's winning against arguably, regardless of who the champion is. Arguably, Sean O'Malley's the biggest name in that division, right? Like former oh, yeah, champions sure. included. Like Sean O'Malley's pop is way bigger than Dom Cruz. There are way more fans cheering for Sean O'Malley than there are of TJ Dillashaw or Pewter Yawn or Aljamain Sterling, right? Like, he, he's the biggest name in that division, regardless of where he's ranked. It just it makes zero sense for Pedro to want to get out of that fight where he had already banked around. It just uh, wears me out, man. Wears me out. All right, so feature prelim was one we were really excited about. We also said this had a chance to be a fight of the night. Uh, it wasn't a fight of the night because the thing was over basically as quickly as it started. Um, we were both on the Jalen Turner side. I, I think just seeing the buzzsaw that he's been to this point at 155, um, I, I have all the respect in the world for how tough Brad Riddell is and the kind of fighter that he is. And, and I love this matchup because it's really like it, you're going to have to bring something to beat Brad Riddell and prove what type of fighter you are if you're going to get past Brad Riddell. And Jalen Turner proved that he deserves to be ranked in the 155 division of the UFC, which is mind-blowing, but... This guy has a massive ceiling, Will. He obviously has submissions. He's so long. The striking is a big part of this. Very well-rounded guy. I I'm really excited to see what's next for Jalen Turner, but an unbelievably incredible performance from Jalen Turner in the lightweight division. Yeah, I mean, that that's that's the type of performance that's going to put you on the map, man, because nobody really does that to Brad. I mean, Vazeev, uh knocked him out, but that was like a, a close 
fight and it just it was like in the last like 10 seconds of the fight after a war that those two guys yeah. had but Jalen Turner made this look easy it was almost effortless he almost I, I don't even think he broke a sweat I mean this guy uh the the advantages that this guy has his height length uh the uh his skill level like all the advantages that this guy has um, it, it, it's going to be a problem for a lot of these guys. I mean, and I don't want to take it, you know, I don't want people to think that Brad Riddell sucks or anything. No. Like, Jalen Turner is a is a problem. <laughs> and if you're going to do that to Brad Riddell and make it look that easy, you you really have something. And there's no it's no wonder why he's ranked now, because to do that to Brad Riddell, you really have something uh, going forward here. So I'm very excited to see what's next. I, I, I probably would think that there's not a lot of people who's going to be uh, trying to fight Jalen Turner because this guy, as soon as you sign the contract to fight this guy, you're at a disadvantage to me because you're you're at a reach disadvantage, height disadvantage. Um, yeah, so I mean, I'm very curious to see what's going to be next for him. He's he's got a lot of potential. Any names come to mind for you? I mean the the only one that I could see being like take one taking the fight. And then uh, someone who would uh, advance his career. I think uh, if Dan Hooker, I, I don't know if he's gonna. I don't know if he's got a fight sign yet. But if um, because I already know, like a lot of these guys at the top aren't gonna want to fight Jalen Turner. A lot right. of these guys here towards the bottom, uh, um, if you're, they're gonna be forced to fight a guy like Jalen Turner. And I think Dan Hooker uh, is gonna be one of those guys who has to fight Jalen Turner. And, and, and sure, like Jalen Turner just finished his his training partner Brad Riddell, so I'm sure Dan Hooker would uh, would enjoy. Uh, a matchup with Jalen Turner. I think that would be a fun matchup on paper. Um, Dan Hooker's tall, uh, has a lot of the, a lot of similar skills that Jalen Turner has, and it's a, and it's a matchup where uh, the, uh, the size wouldn't be so, uh, so much into Jalen Turner's uh, advantage. Even though he's still taller and longer than Dan Hooker, yeah. it's not going to be as substantial as it is with a guy like a Brad Riddell, for example. I love that fight. Uh, sign me up for that one. I, I have a hard time seeing, uh, I mean, this isn't anything against Dan Hooker, because Dan Hooker's proven he'll fight anybody, right? Like, it's all right. he's done is take fights that nobody else wants uh, to his own detriment, right? Like, he's taken a bunch of bad fights that, that uh, you know, he just, he wants to fight, and I love that about him. I think at this point, because he's piled up some L's, you need to be a little bit more strategic, maybe, about what the next matchup is. Uh, but if that fight happens, uh, I love it. Um, I love, you know, either Gamrod or Sarukian. For, uh, for Jalen Turner, if you want to go that route, like Gamrot kind of surged up the rankings. So, you know, maybe maybe Gamrot doesn't want to go back down to, by the way, Jalen Turner's now 14. Um, maybe Gamrot doesn't want to fight somebody that's that's that far below him, but Sarukian, uh, if you wanted to do that. And then looking outside the top 15, like um, Bobby Green's out there. He just had to pull out of a fight, right? Um, Joel Alvarez, in terms of like size, that's a really big guy for the division. Uh, you could face those two off. But the one I really like is um, if you can't get a, a ranked fighter, I really like Moicano, Jalen Turner. Ah, that's a really good one. Yeah, yeah. Um, all of those sound really good. But that Moicano matchup and the Joel Alvarez, just, you know, because he's been having such a advantage at 155 uh, with his length and everything, you want to see him see what happens when there's guys who are um, – more uh, his size, yeah. and I think Moicano uh, offers that, and and Joel Alvarez as well. So, um, you know, maybe they put him in there with the Drew Dober, or um, uh, there's a lot of options out there. Yeah. But I think those two you named, Moicano and uh, and Joel Alvarez, are the most likely options because a lot of these guys that are ranked, they're gonna sit on their spot. You know, yeah. like we've got the superstars, and 
you know, it's tough for these prospects to to really go up in the ranks. There's not a lot of uh, guys in the top who are who are willing to fight down. So, um, yeah, those are some really likely matches for him. And I feel like, you know, there's, well, there's probably like seven or eight guys that you could make the case for, for those like bottom two or three spots in the, in the lightweight rankings, right? Like, so like Joel Alvarez to me and, and Moicano are right in that conversation where um, Jalen Turner currently holds a spot in the rankings. I mean, there's, there's quite a few of those, right? Brad Riddell's right in that range as well, despite losing. Drew Dober is in that range. Like there's a bunch of guys where there's not a significant amount of, of gap between the skill level overall and. Um, if you can't, if you can't get one, like, I, I think there are some really interesting, fun, stylistic matchups, uh, still out there, even if you don't have to stay, you know, in the top 15. All right. Um, Jim Miller over Donald Cowboy Cerrone. Uh, we were both on the Jim Miller side of this. First of all, Jim Miller's such a badass dude. He's he, like just a badass, right? Like still wants it. Uh, you can tell, like, he still just loves being in there, loves fighting, uh, tough as nails, Got it done. Now the all-time UFC wins leader, Jim Miller. So huge congratulations to him. And at the same time, congratulations to Cowboy on an incredible career. The reason it was so easy for both of us to pick this fight, though, is because hearing Cowboy's comments lately, it, it sounded like there was one foot out the door. In fact, the last uh, the last time we picked his fight against Lozon, we both went the other way just because... It, I mean, his comments gave us the impression that he wasn't really into it anymore and that, that he was ready to call it quits. So when when the fight ended and Cowboy retired, I know a lot of people were surprised. I was probably the least shocked person out there. Um, that doesn't take away from, again, the Hall of Fame caliber career the Cowboys had. It's been awesome watching uh, the entirety of his UFC career, but wasn't surprised whatsoever based on recent interviews that uh, that this was ultimately the outcome. Yeah, definitely not surprised. First props to Jim Miller. He's now the all-time winningest fighter in, in UFC history. Uh, it's crazy uh, how this guy has bounced back. Uh, he's This is a guy who was a, a lightweight contender battling Lyme disease, and then he's gotten that pretty much taken care of, and now he's like it's like he's got a second win, and he's uh, just, you know, he's got a new lease on life. He's going through these fighters, man, young, uh, legend, like whoever you put, it, put in there with him. He's always competitive. He's been winning. Um so, man, props to Jim Miller. Like you said, he's a complete badass. But uh, congratulations to Cowboy on an unbelievable career. Like, I have I watched his uh, – I didn't really see him much in the WEC, but uh, in the UFC I watched it from start to finish. Uh, he was always exciting. He was uh, he was a guy at a point who would just take fights for, for, for no reason. Um, always active. Like, he was um, willing to fight on a, on a minute's notice, week's notice, and it didn't matter. Uh, Cowboy was always down to fight. But, you know, for me, I just think after that McGregor fight, I thought that, that he should have called it, uh, called it quits after that. Uh, he didn't look right after that yeah. fight. He didn't look right in that fight. Uh, I think that all was just too much for him. And I think, like he said, he said he didn't love it anymore. I think he lost the love for uh, fighting with that fight. Um, I'm not going to say it was the money or anything. It just, I think all of that, the everything that went into it, ESPN and uh, just the aura that Conor McGregor brings, all the media, all that different stuff. I think it just took the love of fighting because uh, Cowboy's a, a purist, the MMA purist. He likes the, the sport for how pure it is and everything. I don't think he enjoyed, you know, being in that spot with McGregor. And then, you know, since then, Anthony Pettis, he lost to Anthony Pettis, lost to Nico Price. I mean, I'm yeah. I sure that was a draw, but that was a fight he lost in my mind. It was mind. a point deduction for Nico, which made it a draw because Nico right. won without the point deduction, yeah. Easily, yeah. And then Alex Morono, right? Like, yeah. 
he lost to him. And then, of course, he gets submitted by Jim Miller. Uh, so, you know, Cowboy's a guy, if he's going to get finished, it's normally by punches. You, you know, this is a guy who's really good on the ground. And to see him get submitted was very shocking to me. So, yeah, he said he didn't love it. Like, this is a guy, that's like seven in a row in my mind. Yeah. Seven losses in a row. Hasn't won since he beat Ally Quinta. But um, I'm glad he's calling the quits now. I think he should have did it four fights ago. But he had an outstanding career. He fought for the title twice uh, against RDA. Uh, lost them both, but um, it doesn't take away from the exciting fights that he gave us, the exciting knockouts. Uh, this is a guy who's I don't I don't know for sure if he's still got the all-time uh, record for finishes, but uh, he's in he's he's either number one or number two. So um, yeah, props to Cowboy on a fantastic career. Um, he'll be missed. Absolutely. And Jim Miller doesn't look like he's close to slowing down. Not at all. He's going to be there for USC 300 for yeah, sure. Absolutely. <laughs> Welterweight Ian Gary, one of the biggest prospects in the UFC with a decision win over Gabe Green. This was also a fun fight to continue to watch the maturation of a big time prospect like Ian Gary. I thought this was a great matchup. You know, Gabe Green is a, a tough guy, a tough out. Um, I, I thought Ian Gary was close to getting a finish a couple times in this fight. Ultimately, uh, it wasn't there. And maybe that's a credit to Gabe Green's toughness. But fun fight. And Ian Gary just continues to prove that, uh, you know, he's improving. I thought him going the distance in his last fight was going to pay dividends for him moving forward. And that, that looks like it's the case. You know, it looks like um, he is he's a guy that's advancing his career. Uh, you know, you can't just knock everybody out in, in 20 seconds. Uh, you're going to face guys that are a bigger challenge or harder to hit. And even guys that when they do get hit, uh, have iron chins and are not going to go down. And uh, I thought we saw a lot of good things from me and Gary in this fight. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, it's one thing to get these knockouts. Uh, and But, like, to outclass someone for three rounds, I think it just shows uh, the maturity. And it just shows, like, Ian Gary's actually good. He's actually better than, than a lot of these guys. It's not like uh, Conor McGregor where there's still a lot of questions. He's knocking everybody out, but there's still a lot of questions. Like, what happens when he fights a wrestler or what happens with, with this, like Ian Gary's answering a lot of those questions early. Um, and I, I think the slow build is good for him, but he's outclassing these guys. He doesn't need to, to, you know, force a knockout. Like that's, that's where danger happens. That's what happens when you do get knocked out. Um, you know, I've seen a lot of comparisons to him and uh, Patty Pimblett because they're both guys who have come into the UFC at the same time with a lot of uh, publicity and everything. But, you know, I'm very, I'm way higher on Ian Gary right now because, you know, uh, Patty Pimblett's been hurt both Same, both yeah. fights that he's fought. <laughs> uh, I'm sure he's gotten finishes and everything's been great, but, you know, Ian Gary's, like I said, he's outclassing these guys, proving that he's better. Um, and I think he's continuously getting better. I think he's definitely gotten better from his last fight to this fight. And um, I think he's going to continue to show improvements, man. This was a, a proper step up, and he, did, and he did what he had to do. If the knockout was there, he would have took it, but it didn't. it didn't show itself. He didn't force it. He got a 30-27 decision. Uh, I don't think that you could ask much more out of that. So I'm um, very impressed with what I've seen from Ian Gary. So I'm glad you mentioned Patty Pimblett because that's that's two guys that are prospects that you know are are on this rise and uh, like I don't I don't ever see like maybe Patty Pimblett gets a bunch of of easy matchups and ultimately becomes a ranked lightweight right like that's possible but I don't I don't see Patty Pimblett as being close to like the top 15 in the lightweight division right like I feel like there's a pretty big gap between the guys that you can even have the conversation about being in the top 15 and where he is. I could see Ian Gary potentially cracking the top 15 at welterweight. Now, I also don't see him like I saw Hamzat and I was like, that guy could be a champion, right? Like I'm not there with Ian Gary yet. Like I don't look at him and think that's a future welterweight champ, but I think that that's a guy that 
could absolutely be ranked in the top 15 of the welterweight division. And if he continues to improve, maybe he gets there. Uh, but yeah, it's, he's kind of the opposite of Patty Pimblett to me. It's, it's a slow build, but I do feel like there's a much higher ceiling there for Ian Gary in terms of what he can accomplish in the UFC. Uh, and again, he just completely outclassed a very tough, hard-nosed fighter that's going to apply a ton of pressure. And, you know, in terms of what's next at 170, um, where do you go if you are the UFC with Ian Gary? Uh, I, I don't, I don't give him a, uh, a ranked guy yet. I still yeah. keep him outside of the top 15. Um, trying to think of like who, uh, like maybe like a Ponzinibbio. Um, I mean, if you really wanted to, you could give him uh what's the kid's name? Uh, the really skilled kid, uh, who's been, uh, knocked out a few times, fought chaos Williams, fought Ponzinibbio, tall, very skilled, um, I'm literally looking at him right now. I just can't think of his name. Uh, ah, what is this? What's that dude's name? Uh, just got knocked out by Chaos Williams and Baeza? by uh, Andre Muniz. Baeza, Baeza, yeah. Okay. Maybe you, yeah. Maybe you can like give that. me and Gary a guy like uh, like Baeza, um, and that would be a pretty solid striking matchup there. Um, but yeah, I, I don't I don't give him someone who's in the uh, top 15 yet. I, I'm still um, building him slow, but you definitely need to um, move him forward, give him the proper step forward. Because uh, right now he's he's fought a lot of guys who are kind of who are bigger, um, who are trying to who are trying to get to him, pressure him and everything. But uh, they're not overly skilled. Maybe a guy like Baeza who has a similar build, who has uh, some skills, would uh, make for a pretty fun matchup. I like the I like the Baeza matchup a lot. Um... Ponzinibbio to me is still probably a, uh, I mean, Ponzinibbio is still borderline top 15. Basically, right, yeah. Like, yeah, I, I, yeah, I would, um, I'd probably want to give him another fight before I would offer him a Ponzinibbio or like, I thought stylistically like Kevin Holland would be a really fun fight, but I, I feel like Kevin Holland is also on that Ponzinibbio yeah. tier where I, I don't yeah. know that I'd want to put Ian Gary in that position yet. Um, you know, speaking of Kevin Holland, the guy he just fought, Tim Means. It would be oh, a yeah, really good be... matchup in terms of, you know, a guy that's just going to be gritty and tough and can take the fight anywhere. Um, and, you know, a, a, a definitely a step up from Gabe Green, but not like into the, the top 15 killer mode that you'd be facing with like Ponsonibio or Kevin Holland. Um, you know, if you wanted to fa face him off against another one of the young guys at welterweight, you know, Andre Fialo's fought a ton this year. He just lost, but, you know, maybe like down the road a little bit, Fialo could make sense or... Um, who else? Jeremiah Wells is on a little bit of a, a tear. Oh, yeah. That that might be a fun fight. That's that's dangerous. <laughs> but yeah, I think uh, I hadn't even considered Baeza, but I I like that matchup a lot. Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's it's a it's a guy who has a lot of potential, just like Ian Gary, young, very skilled. I think they match up very very well. I wouldn't be surprised if that's the matchup. Yeah. Because um, a lot of these guys who who you named, I mean, I think there are a lot of similar uh, fights to the fights he's already fought. I think now we need to see him fight um, like guys who are uh, more skilled, who will uh, give him uh, different looks. Yeah. Because at this point, he's kind of fighting the same fighter every time. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Uh, again, a fight that uh, was really tough to pick last week. I felt like this was my hardest decision of the week in terms of picking a winner. I also felt like this had a great chance to be fight of the night. Drickus Duplessis and Brad Tavares in the middleweight division. Well, this fight was awesome. Like, it absolutely delivered what we thought it was going to. Um, you know, I think I'm left with, A, Brad Tavares is just tough as nails, which we already knew, right? That's not new news. We knew Brad Tavares was tough as hell. He once again proved it in this fight. 
Drick is too Plessy, man. Like, he was so out of control and aggressive in the first round and looked like the gas tank was done. Like, I thought Brad Tavares was going to win this fight because I thought Drickus had emptied the gas tank and had nothing left. Maybe the most impressive thing of this fight is the amount of heat he was still throwing for the entirety of the fight. For 15 minutes, Drickus Duplessis was still throwing shots that anybody probably not named Brad Tavares or Kelvin Gastelum at 185 is not surviving, right? Like, that was unbelievable. And we talked last week, like, one of the things I like about Drickus is how awkward he is, and he's just a tough puzzle uh, to figure out. He's just so weird in his movements that I don't think it's it's very easy uh, to defend against. But I also thought, like, the combination of Brad Tavares' toughness and just, you know, the overall experience was going to to get him the win. Uh, this is a monster win for Drickus Duplessis in my mind, and, you know, again, we'll get to it, but can't wait to see what's next for him in this division. Oh, yeah, absolutely. This was uh, a crazy fight, man. Like you said, the first round just looked, it looked like uh, he was about to get outclassed. Like he uh, just put way too much into that first round. He just kind of blew his blew his wad out yeah. for the first round. Um, but then, you know, it just seemed like everything changed in the second round. And But he was still throwing heat um, throughout, like you said, throughout the entirety of the fight. Uh, and then it just seemed like he just started to land. Like in the first round, it just seemed like he was swinging at air. And then second and third round, he's starting to land. And then he... Uh, Brad is starting to uh, his face is starting to get marked up and everything, but uh, yeah, I'm I'm very impressed by what I saw from Drickus Duplessis, you know, beating a tough tough guy like Brad Tavares. Uh, I thought that um, this would I thought that Drickus was going to get a finish, but you know, uh, Brad is so is so tough, man. Uh, it's hard to put him out. Like Izzy couldn't even put uh, Brad Tavares out. He outclassed him, but he couldn't even put him out. But so very very uh, good fight. This easily could have been fight of the night. Um, uh, I'm, I'm very surprised by how much that fight changed from round one to round two. Uh, it was an easy fight to score. I mean, uh, Brad won the first and Drake took the last two. But, uh, yeah, crazy, crazy fight. And Drake looked absolutely exhausted after the fight was over. Uh, but I definitely think, man, uh, he was scheduled to fight Kelvin. I think after seeing that fight with Brad, I think that's an easy fight to just go ahead and make uh, Drake and, and Kelvin. I love that fight because I feel like it's almost a carbon copy of this fight. Like, it's the same fight, right? Like, so sign me right. up. I want to see it again. But if they decided to go in a different direction, I totally understand because it's kind of the same fight, right? Like, it's this insanely tough guy that can absorb a ton of damage uh, but probably doesn't have the the entirety of the offensive arsenal to to give it back to Drickus, I think, in that matchup. Like, I... I, I I would love it though. It would be a it would be a war, and it would probably be a Drickus decision in my mind. Uh, but I, I would love to see it. Um, he is again. He's so awkward, but the the amount of of uh, just power that he threw punches with for the entirety of that fight still is mind blowing to me. When he looked like he like the gas tank was empty, there was nothing left. Like we've seen, we've literally like a, a couple come to mind. Diego Fajeda was winning a fight and the gas tank emptied and then literally it was just like the lights turned off, right? Right. Or like Glover Teixeira was 30 seconds away from winning the light heavyweight belt and literally the gas tank just reached E and he couldn't even defend a choke. Like, that's where I thought Drickus Duplessis was in this fight and for him to go 10 more minutes throwing bombs the whole way was just incredible. Like, I'm, I'm whoever it is, I'm excited to, to watch what's next. And look, I, I thought this guy was going to be a top 15, you know, dangerous guy in this division. I just didn't think he was there yet. And I definitely thought like a challenge like Brad Tavares at this point was um, going to be a little bit too much for him. But man, sign me up for Drickus Duplessis against uh, 
whoever they match him up with in the middleweight division. Love it. Love it. Uh, staying in the middleweight division, Andre Muniz over Uriah Hall in, I mean, dominant fashion. This wasn't close. It was also, for as, as dominant as this was, Will, it was equally frustrating, I guess, from my perspective. Um, Muniz certainly did more than enough to win the fight. Like, you know, he, there was no, I guess if you wanted to have the like viewpoint of there was no reason for him to, to do anything more because he was winning so decisively, like I get it. But the one thing that I, I walked away from that fight feeling was he can't just be an armbar guy, right? Like if that's the only thing you're going to go after, then you're not as dangerous as we think you are because the ability to attack different things is what ultimately makes you really dangerous. And it just felt like he was so dead set on just getting the arm that there were times I thought he could have gotten chokes and just didn't, right? Like, it, he just seems so one-dimensional. And look, again, being one-dimensionally completely dominated Uriah Hall, but going into that fight, I felt like this was one of the big problems of the division. I still feel like he is, but I'm maybe I've cooled just a little bit because I feel like if he's only going to be one-dimensional in terms of what type of submission he's going to go after then the, for me, at least, maybe the ceiling's not as high as I thought it was. Yeah, I, I'm 100% with you. Uh, I mean, after watching what he did to, to Jacare and Eric Anders, how effortless that was, I think this could have been easily as effortless. The way he got him down was effortless. <clears throat> he was yeah. able to get the fight to the ground multiple times and get him in a bad spot multiple times. But uh, he's just going after the armbar. And uh, looking at his record now, his last three wins were from armbar. Yeah. So I guess... Maybe that's why. I mean, he's that's what he's had success with. Um, but if you're a, if you're a jujitsu guy, um, like everyone says that you are, we know that you have arm bars, and I'm sure people are going to be, especially after this performance, people are going to be uh, aware that you want to go for the arm. And if they're going to block that, then I mean, what else do you have? I mean, I, yeah. that's something he's going to have to show us because as you get higher up into the rankings, these are guys who are going to be very strategic and uh, who are going to do a lot of film study and everything. Uh, as you get up in the rankings, they're going to, it's not going to be easy to get the, get these arm bars. So what do you have after that? So um, sure. He's a, he's a prospect. Uh, he's got a high ceiling and everything, but that's got to be something that, that he's got to address. He's got to use his full arsenal of, of Brazilian Jiu Jitsu and he, and he's a black belt. Yeah. And, you know, the armbar is not the only thing that they teach you on your way to becoming a black belt. I'm sure. I mean, I'm not. I'm no black belt, but I'm right. sure uh, there's more submissions out there that you can do. So, uh, and a guy like Raya Hall definitely shouldn't have been able to to withstand uh, that onslaught. So, um, yeah, I've cooled a little bit. I, I was I was under the impression that this guy should be a top five guy. He's going to finish basically anybody that he that he goes up against. Yeah. But the fact that he didn't finish Raya Hall uh, definitely gives me some cause to pause. So. Uh, we'll yeah. see what's next for him, but yeah, I'm, I've definitely cooled off a little bit on him. Just it, a little bit, though. Yeah, and look, and I, I completely agree. I just said the same thing. If I was going to play devil's advocate to both of our points, I would just say, like, this was so dominant and so easy, right? That, that uh, I mean, he was never in danger. It was cake to get your ride down. Um, like, and, and, you know, looking at his resume, he's got triangle choke finish. He's got guillotine. Dars, guillotine, triangle, guillotine. So you know there's more there. He, he has finished other people rear naked. Uh, he's finished other people in other ways. But to your point, like the last three are armbar submissions and four of his last five finishes are armbar. And if that's the only thing you're going to pursue, 
the guys that you're now fighting in this division are all skilled enough that if you're only going to go after one thing, they can fight that off. Uriah Hall is not the greatest grappler in the world, but if you're only going to go after the arm, Uriah Hall is at least skilled enough to fight off getting finished by the arm. If he had mixed it up, I, I, he finishes Uriah Hall. Like, there's no doubt in my Easy. mind if he had decided to, to switch it up or just take whatever's available, I think he gets the finish, but he just seems so focused on just that that Uriah Hall was able to just completely focus on defending the arm, and it goes the distance. But, I, yeah, I'm, I'm, not, I'm not taking Muniz out of the conversation of, of, you know, being the boogeyman of the division. It just it worries me that if he continues to just focus on the one dimension— uh, that you know, that's these guys are too good to just focus on the one dimension. You got to be multidimensional, and uh, if, if he if he does go back to that, you know, the guy is uh, just just incredible. Like I I have a ton of confidence in what he could ultimately become in this uh, in this division. Uh, okay, so before Uriah Hall and Andre Muniz, we had Macy Barber decision win over Jessica I. By the way, this was the first retirement of the night. Jessica I retired following Macy Barber's win. Uh, impressive performance for Macy Barber and, uh, you know, Jessica I, she's been around forever. She's had a ton of fights in the UFC, a ton of respect for everything she's accomplished in this sport. Yeah. Um, just, uh, to start with Macy Barber. I mean, I, I finally think that we're starting to see the Macy Barber who was, uh, around before she tore ACL. Uh, she's, it seems like she's starting to, uh, really put it all together again. Um, a win over a Jessica I, someone who is a veteran, who's, uh, who's been around the block and everything. That's a, a huge win, a huge feather in your cap. Uh, and, and Macy's still very young, so she's still got a lot of room to grow in this sport. But for her to put on that performance uh, and to really uh, really put that ACL in the past and uh, and everything, I think um, she's really starting to find her stride. And I'm uh, cur- <clears throat> curious to see what's next for her. But as far as Jessica I, former title challenger, uh, someone who's been in multiple div- uh, divisions, um, she was always a tough out no matter who she fought. Uh it's just, you know, the, as the sport evolves, man, uh, uh, it just gets a lot tougher for her skill set. Uh, these these girls at, Feather, at uh, Flyweight just started to get really, really good, really, really skilled. Uh, she's got a win over uh, Caitlin Chukagian, uh, who is also a former uh, title challenger. So uh, she's been around the block, fought Valentina for the title. Uh, she's had a she had a really solid career. Uh, and I think it was time after four losses in a row. So uh, props to her on a fantastic career. So for Macy Barber, I'm curious to see what direction they go with her. Uh, you look at that division, and you know it's it kind of feels like it's Valentina and everybody else. Although Talia Santos, um, you know, came I think the closest. Um, at the bottom of that division, well, there are three names that I really like in terms of the ceiling: Macy Barber, Casey O'Neill, and Aaron Blanchfield. I don't like the idea of any of those three fighting each other. Like that's where I'm at because you have this champion that has just separated herself so far from everybody else. Like, I, I wouldn't be a fan of Barbara O'Neill and Blanchfield in any way facing each other. Like, we need to build some new blood in this division because Valentina's essentially cleaned it out. So, however they want to do that, I would like to see all three of those uh, women, Barbara O'Neill and Blanchfield, get opportunities of, like, Jennifer Maya is in front of them. Um, Andrade is there. Vivian Araujo, who I think is fighting uh, Nina Nunes this weekend. But, um, you know, there are a bunch of names that have been around for a while. I Give the young blood opportunities against the ones that have been there for a while. Let's see if we can in some way offer up some new opportunities uh, at the top for Valentina. Yeah, I'm, I'm definitely with you. Uh, Casey uh, has the torn ACL, so she's going to be out for a while. Yeah. Jessica, I just retired. So um, Blanchfield will probably, will probably move up. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what they give Blanchfield because she's ranked uh, 14th and there's kind of um, 
they might have to get for someone unranked, but uh, it's it, she's got a ton of potential. But as far as uh, Macy Barber goes, I think the I think clearly you got to give her uh, either Jennifer Maya or uh, Andrea Lee. Uh, I think Jennifer Maya is probably the option I would go with uh, most. Um, she's a, a former title challenger, and uh, Macy Barber. I think it's just like that. At the, this is the point in their careers where she's coming down yeah. and Macy's coming up, and they just meet. Yeah. So kind of. Kind of similar to the Pedro Sean O'Malley type type fight, um, but that's the fight I would do. There's there's a lot of fun matchups coming up like Murphy and Misha Tate, Andrade and uh, Furo and uh, Alexa Grasso, who I'm very high on fighting. Uh, Ar- Arujo and yeah. I, by the way, then, I think I said Cal- Arujo a second ago against um, against Nina. New- that's I meant Cynthia Calvillo. Uh, oh yeah, 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 they are fighting. Yeah, yeah. Cynthia Calvillo and, and Nina Nunes. That's Saturday. Uh, so. Yeah, I mean, this division starting to move move around a little bit. Caitlin Chukagian was supposed to fight Furo, but she got she had to pull out, so she's still at the top. So yeah, there, there's a lot of young blood moving up. I'm very curious to see uh, how it all shakes out. But Macy Barber has put herself right back uh, where she was before she tore ACL, uh, and uh, very, very, very high on her um, after seeing that performance. Um, and of course, you still got Miranda Maverick, uh, yeah. who's not ranked, but she's still around. So uh, this division is starting to gain some traction for sure. So this card got started with Julia Stoliarenko, Jessica Rose Clark. Uh, Jessica Rose Clark looked really good for as long as this was on the feet. Uh, then it shifted in a big way and a savage finish from Stoliarenko breaking Jessica. I had to turn away. Like I was oh, yeah, like, yeah. oh no, it's going, it's going the wrong direction. That's the like I can handle about anything, but when the arm starts to bend the wrong direction or the <laughs> the knee or whatever, like. I'll fully admit, I, I, I slightly turned my head, and uh, I did that there. Um, savage, savage finish from Stoli Ranko, who uh, gets her first win in the UFC now. Yeah, I definitely thought that Jessica Rose Clark was going to win this one. Uh, she looked outstanding, uh, like you said, on the feet. Uh, but I guess she got over-aggressive and then just fell into a bad spot, and then uh, Stoli Ranko was able to just snap her arm in half. It, I mean... After the after she let go of the arm and then it, it was still in the same spot that it was yeah. when she was in the arm bar, you're like, yeah, it's like, yeah, that shit broke. Uh, so um, first win in the UFC, uh, she's an arm bar specialist. She's got a lot of wins by arm bar. Uh, so it, it's it's good for her uh, to get a win like that. International fight week to start off the start off the card. Um, but and I think she got a performance bonus out of that, too. So. But, yeah, yeah, you don't see a lot of women snapping other yeah. women uh, women's arms. So that's a very, very. I guess you could say it's special, but uh, yeah, very nasty at the same time. She said in the post-fight interview, like, if she gets your arm, she's going to break it. She's not, like, yeah. playing. Like, that's, <laughs> she's going to break it. So, uh, you know, maybe maybe that gives her a little traction in terms of, like, hey, I wonder if the arm breaker is, is going to break an arm tonight. I don't, I don't know, but I was like, oh, my God, no. Yeah, that was, that was nasty, can't man. Watch yeah. The, yeah, can't watch the break. All right, so you have a five-point lead as we head to UFC Fight Night, Dos Anjos, Faziv from the UFC Apex on Saturday night. And this main card begins in the lightweight division. We have Michael Johnson and Jamie Malarkey. Will, Jamie Malarkey is your favorite, minus 260, plus 200 from maybe the guy that has the highest ceiling and lowest floor combination that's possible within any fight. (laughs) That's Michael Johnson. Oh, man. I mean, he's one of those guys that's just so tough to, to bet on because he, you know, like he should, like skill for skill, Michael Johnson's one of the better guys uh, in the division. But, you know, it's just on a given night, he could look 
terrible or he could look like a future champion. It just depends on what guy shows up. Uh, you know, as of late, it seems like he's found like a new um, he's got a new lease on life. You know, he took some time off, came back. Um, you know, like I said, man, it's so tough to bet on a guy like that, uh, on a guy like Michael Johnson, who's just so hit or miss. Like this is a guy like I'm looking down his record. He like th- this is this is l- let me just say okay three wins three wins in a row then two losses four wins in a row then two losses one win three losses <laughs> two wins four losses now he's got to win like how do you gauge like okay this is this is what I'm expecting from Michael Johnson this is where I'm gonna go when he's been so inconsistent throughout his career it's yeah. crazy um, I think this is a, this is definitely a winnable fight for him uh, Jamie Malarkey uh, I mean he's solid. Uh, he's always tough. You know, a part of me, man, uh, I feel like this could be a barn burner. <sighs> give me, uh, give me, give me malarkey, man. Uh, I, I just, I'm just not confident in what I'm in, in Michael Johnson yet. I think it, that will probably, that probably will turn if he were to win this one. But, um, I got to see more performances. I mean, that win over Alan Patrick was was cool and everything, but that's a fight that you should definitely win. Yeah. Uh, this is a fight I feel like you should definitely win as well, but I, I got to see him string some wins together before I get my confidence back in him. This guy has wins over, like, Tony Ferguson, Dustin Poirier, yeah. Edson Barboza, but then there's just these... And look, he's also lost, to, I mean, some of the biggest names in the division as well, but there are these random losses in there where you're like, how did he lose that one? Like that there, right. there's no reason he should have lost that. He looked really good. I thought against, uh, Alan Patrick or, uh, you know, if we want to go the former sooner route, Alan Patrick, uh, but <laughs> like I, I, Jamie Malarkey is a guy that has a lot of power. And, um, I think this is a big step up from Alan Patrick to Jamie yeah. Malarkey. Um, I, it's hard to bet on the inconsistency for me. So it will be Jamie Malarkey for me as well at 155. All right, uh, you know, I feel like we've got to have a heavyweight fight on every card, right? They've got to throw somebody in there in the heavyweight division. The fans demand it. And in this one, it is Jared Vandera and Chase Sherman. Oddshark.com has Vandera as the minus 200 favorite, plus 160 for Chase Sherman. Um, so I, I'm I'm in favor of this matchup over, um, who was it, Parisian and Alan Badeau. Like, that one was, I, I, I didn't know about that one, but... This one I, I'm definitely uh, more in favor of. Um, man, um, I think this is a this is a really good matchup. This is good matchmaking. I think that Vandera, um, just in terms of his strength of schedule, uh, you know, he took a step up, lost three in a row, but before that, this was a guy who was uh, who was getting some some solid wins. So um, I think I'm gonna go ahead and go with uh, Jan Vandera here. Um, yeah, give me Jared Vandera. All right. Jared Vandera here as well. Um, I do think this is a really good matchup. I, I, I'm kind of surprised the odds are as, as much as they are. I feel like this would be closer than the odds would suggest. That said, um, you know, there's, like we just talked about with Michael Johnson, I feel like with both these guys, there have been times you've seen some glimpses of what could be, but, um, you know, unfortunately, more often than not, you see the other side of it. Uh, Jared Vandera just gives me the impression there's a little bit more in the arsenal overall. So Vandera. All right. Death taxes and bantamweights. This might be uh, one of the better fights on the fight card. Will Saeed Nurmagomedov and Douglas Silva de Andrade. 
Said Nurmagomedov is the favorite at minus 280, plus 210 for Douglas Silva de Andrade. Man, look, I've been really impressed by what I've seen from de Andrade, Silva de Andrade. I mean, I, I haven't really, I didn't really pay attention to him much until like the uh, pandemic started and I uh, got to watch some of his fights. Uh, but this is a guy who's 28 and four. He's been around the block. He's he's lost to guys like Rob Font, Peter Yan, and Lerone Murphy, and those guys are are top tier type fighters. Yeah. Um, but I, I think that Nurmagomedov um, is, is is special. He's not um, related to Khabib and, and and those guys, but uh, he finished um, Cody Stamen in in his last one, and nobody does nobody does that to Cody Stamen, and he made that look easy. Um, I think that this is going to be another uh, good performance from him. I don't think it'll be as easy as what happened with Stamen because I think Silva de Andrade is very, very good. This is going to be a test, but I do expect uh, Nurmagomedov to win. So give me Saeed. Douglas Silva de Andrade's losses uh, recently, Lerone Murphy, Peter Yan, Rob Font, as you mentioned. He's a win over Cheeto Vera. Uh, he just beat Sergey Morozov earlier this year, which I think we just saw Morozov beat. Um, who did Morozov just beat? Like uh, a week or two ago, um, Paiva. It was a yeah, yeah. It was Paiva. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, yeah. yeah. So I mean, he's fought some big names, has some good wins, uh, but no disgrace in losing to you know who he's lost to at the same time. I love. I really like this matchup. This might be one of the better fights on the cards I mentioned. But uh, man, Saeed Nurmagomedov. That what he did against Drew Dober was so incredibly impressive that uh, I I can't overlook it. So give me the. Uh, Forward momentum of Saeed Nurmagomedov in this matchup, but I, I really like it, and uh, this should be a really fun one. All right, uh, co-main event. Um, man, I just saw this guy fight, and I can't remember how they pronounced his name. Kayo, maybe? Barallo? Kayo? Kayo Boyhayo. Boyhayo. And Armin Petrosian in the middleweight division. Barallo, Kayo, is the favorite at minus 210. Uh, Armin Petrosian, the underdog, plus 165. Now, I remember the the last time we bet on on uh, Boyhayo. It was his debut. I didn't know. I hadn't seen him fight before. But they they listed him at like 5'10 or some shit like that. This guy is like 6'2", <laughs> six, something crazy like that. I'm like, wait a minute. That guy is not 5' anything. He's definitely 6-something. Uh, he, he looked... He looked massive for the division, uh, and he showed a lot of skill. Um, I'm, I was pretty high on him after seeing his performance. I, I think he uh, dodged a, uh, a disqualification for some illegal strikes, if I remember yeah. right. Yeah. But um, he definitely has a lot of potential. I'm, I'm going Kayo here. I think uh, he's, the UFC sees him as the next Brazilian uh, superstar. Yeah. He, he won a fight against another undefeated fighter, two big-time prospects coming off Contender Series wins, uh, Godsey, and I'm not going to try, try to pronounce his last name either. I already failed at that the last time we picked uh, a Kayo fight, but uh, I was really impressed, and I had picked against him in that fight, by the way. Uh, I will not do that in this one, so give me Kayo as well in the co-main event. So last opportunity, I guess, for us to be on the opposite side of one this week. It is your main event in the lightweight division. I love when we have ranked lightweights fighting each other. Rafael Dos Anjos and Rafael Fazeev. Oddshark.com. By the way, do you know the odds to this? No. Have you seen them? Do you want to guess? Um. Okay, I'm going to go Dos Anjos 
is a okay. I'm gonna go. Vasiv is a minus one fifty favorite, and uh, that would make Dos Santos like a plus one twenty or something like that. Okay. <laughs> I would have guessed that uh, RDA was the favorite in this. By the way, he is not. Really? Yeah, he is not the favorite. It is Vasiv minus two twenty. Plus 175 for RDA. 220? Yeah, 220. Like, what? <laughs> wow. Uh, minus 220. It's shocking to me. Anyway. That's crazy. Yeah, I, this is wow. a great fight. I just wouldn't have... Yeah. I, I, a, I thought RDA would be the betting favorite. And B, I mean, for, for Fazeev to be minus 220, I was like, whoa. Yeah, that's, that's, that's pretty crazy. I definitely didn't expect that. But, um... Yeah, so Fazeev has a lot of potential. Uh, I mean... In terms of his striking, he's right up there with some of the best in this division. Uh, with what he did to Brad Riddell, that was uh, that was crazy. Uh, but then you go to RDA. RDA has got the experience, former champion, uh, coming back down to lightweight. He's won two in a row, but like Paul Felder took the fight on day's notice, and then uh, who did he just beat? Moicano took the fight on yeah. yeah, took the fight on day's notice. So like it's hard to really gauge where exactly uh, RDA is in this division. So I think this is a very um, interesting matchup. Um, I think uh, with this being five rounds, um, you know, Vasiv hasn't really seen that. Uh, but in his in his wars, like he's had wars with Bobby Green, with Brad Riddell. He's, he's had a lot of striking output, and he hasn't really seen like he's been a guy who gets tired. So I wonder how this fight will, will play out. Um, I do think that RDA will have to use his wrestling. He'll have to use his full arsenal. And uh, his experience will have to uh, play a factor at some point. So, um, you know, give me uh, RDA because, uh, you know, Fasiv hasn't seen the championship rounds yet. Uh, this is, you know, his first time. RDA, I think he's a little bit more well-rounded. Uh, I don't think this fight will stay uh, standing because if it does, that's definitely a Fasiv win. So, um I'm trusting the uh, RDA experience, and uh, give me RDA here. Very nice. I I was uh, pretty sure earlier today I was just going to go opposite you no matter what, because I I feel like this is a really close fight, right? Like it's I I could easily see either guy winning this fight. Um, where I ended up landing before we started recording this podcast was, while I think RDA has so much experience, and is more well rounded. Like you just kind of talked about, like since he's come back to lightweight, he's had two fights. Paul Felder on short notice, literally days before Paul Felder retires. And it was Moicano on very short notice after Moicano's just moved up from featherweight, right? Um, mm -hmm. I, like I'm, I'm so torn on this fight, and I do feel like RDA's well-rounded. But I'm, I'm also like at the point where it's like I, I don't know what we're getting from RDA at lightweight against like a guy like Fazeev that has a training camp and is in his prime and it's just, it's tough. So I I kind of felt like going into this I was probably going to go slight lean toward Fazeev, but I'd probably just I would have probably gone opposite you no matter which way you had gone. Um, this is going to be a fun one, and you know I, I think we we learn whether RDA is, is somebody to really like talk about in terms of being in that conversation with uh, the other elite lightweights, or uh, if Rafael Fazeev all of a sudden is making a case to get a fight against, you know, like a Michael Chandler, for example. But this is going to be a fun one either way, and we're going to know, I, I think, something pretty significant after this one's over. So I will take Rafael Fazeev in the main event against RDA, and it should be a fun one. Yeah, I mean, this, 
like you said, it's very close. I mean, the odds don't uh, really represent how good of a fight that this is. Yeah. I think that this could be like a pick 'em fight. Uh, RDA, like like I said, former champion, has seen it all, done it all in two divisions. Like he's fought the best of the best in two divisions, uh, and uh, Fasiv just has looked so good uh, with the, with his striking. I mean, to to do what he did to Bobby Green, to out, he kind of I'm not gonna say he outclassed him, but he definitely outstruck him. And then what he did to Brad Verdell was 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 sensational. So uh, this could be a very spectacular fight. I definitely think RDA is going to have to use his full arsenal because uh, Fasiv is a, is a special talent. And um, this is going to be a fun one, man. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I feel good about my pick, yeah. but this is, uh, this is one of those close ones, man. Like, I can see this going either way. I'll be honest. I wouldn't have felt good about being on either side of this. Like, I'm, I, yeah. I have no confidence in this fight <laughs> at all, which is why I wanted to ask you the odds, because I was curious to see kind of where you thought maybe they would land. And I was, A, shocked that Fazeev was the favorite, because I really thought RDA would be the betting favorite. But B, to see it minus 220, it's like, What? Uh, yeah, yeah like I'm, I'm not, I wouldn't, if you, if you had taken Fazeev and I was with RDA, I wouldn't have felt super confident and having Fazeev, I don't feel super confident either. So, you know what, that means that it's a good fight and we should be excited about what we're going to watch on Saturday. So guess what? We have points at stake in the main event on Saturday night of UFC fight night, RDA Fazeev. Covered a lot of ground today, man. Yeah. Yeah. That went through that whole 276 card. I mean, uh, it was definitely worthy of that. Uh, before I forget, how good was that Israel Adesanya walkout, though? It was good, oh except for gosh. the fact that what followed it, like, if you're going to walk out <laughs> to The Undertaker, like, I get he fought what a normal Izzy fight is, but if you're going to walk out to The Undertaker, like, you got to put earned, somebody away, with, right? With the, with, the guy, with the guy's name on you it. you got to like, make yeah. it a point to put yeah. the guy away and not, yeah. like, settle on just easily winning uh, very um, easy, like non-competitive rounds. Like, so yeah. I, I did love the walkout. I was like, oh, this is awesome. But then I was right. like, as that fight was going on, I was like, man, you can't walk out to the Undertaker <laughs> with the urn and then like coast to a unanimous decision. So that that was yeah. kind of how I felt about it on yeah. Saturday night. Yeah, I mean, I'm sitting there. Uh, the the lights go out. And I hear the Undertaker song. I'm like, no way. Yeah. He's not actually going to like come out to this. And then. The, he's got the hat on. He's carrying there, and I'm like, oh my gosh! I think Izzy just became my favorite fighter. With then, Vince, Triple H, and Stephanie McMahon sitting yes. in the front row. Yeah. How crazy is that? Yeah. I mean, I wonder, I wonder if they were in on this, which I feel like they kind of had to be. Maybe I don't know, but they did have a show, um, a pay per view, like two minutes up, like at the MGM Grand. So it was cool that they came down and watched it. It's it's wild to see Vince at a sporting event. Yeah. <laughs> I was I was pretty surprised by that. So to see him. Uh, out there with Stephanie and with Triple H and uh, Pat McAfee. It was, it oh, was yeah, awesome. Yeah, McAfee was with them too. Yeah. And then uh, Izzy comes out to The Undertaker. And then, uh, I don't know if you caught this, but Jessica Rose Clark came out to... Uh, HBK, yeah. So it was uh, just a complete WWE... Yeah, so we started uh, with HBK uh, and we ended with The Undertaker. Exactly. So I was pretty geeked. I can dig it. Night, man. So it, it was fun. By the way, the amount of star power in terms of UFC fighters that were at this event in general was awesome. Um, oh yeah, I I was when when Dustin and Justin were side by side, like you yeah. know, saying hi to the camera. Like part of me was just like, oh yes, those are my guys. <laughs> uh, and then I don't know. Oh. Did, before we go, yeah, I, was, I have to bring up was, Poirier and Chandler. I was about to say the same. Yeah, I was about to say the same thing. I'm glad that we <laughs> came on to this. Yeah. So yeah, I was shocked because these are two of the nicest guys in the sport, and to see them going at it like that, I'm like, okay, fuck it. 
I don't know what the plans were, but let's book this fight. Dustin Poirier and Michael Chandler. I mean, at first you had Poirier kind of dismissing Chandler because he hasn't done much in the UFC. And now, like, the roles are, like, reversed because, like, Chandler's on this uh, – he just finished Tony Ferguson. And Poirier's looking for a fight. So uh, Poirier's calling out Chandler, and Chandler's kind of dismissing him. Yeah. Now they're at each other's throats. And it was just crazy to see two nice guys like that almost coming to blows. But I, I'm 100% in on that fight. I don't know about you. Absolutely. I'm, I, I mean, over Benil Dariush or whatever fight that could be made right now, give me Dustin Poirier and Michael Chandler for sure. I think that uh, – maybe I'm wrong here. Could Dustin Poirier and Michael Chandler headline a pay-per-view? Ooh. I kind of think they could. That is a really good question. Wow. I think they I think they could. Man. Yeah, I, I said they could, but I don't think the UFC would do it. Well, but no, I no. Yeah. I think I think they could do it because like Poirier coming off of those two Connor fights, Chandler was on a Connor card, and then like he's had all these fight of the year contenders, knockout of the year, all this stuff. Yeah, I think they could they could definitely headline a card for sure. Uh, Dustin pushed Charles further than Chandler or Ga- Chandler or Gaethje did, right? And absolutely, yeah. I mean Chandler in terms of you know stylistically, like he's got a ton of positive momentum and always puts on a show. Dustin always puts on a show. Yeah, I think they could, but sign me up. And look, I, I know there was the whole like. Dustin being d- dismissive of Chandler, and that definitely rubbed Chandler the wrong way. I right. think more than anything, this is Dustin Poirier reaching a point of like begging for fights so much that now he's going to just go whatever route potentially can make the fight happen, right? If that means like maybe not really being that mad, but but putting on a bit of a show for the sake of making this thing happen to get a fight, like that's kind of the way I feel like this this probably was in in reality. But I'm here for it being bad blood too. <laughs> Yeah, I, I, I'm not. It's not like Dustin and Colby or Jorge and Colby right. bad blood like that. Right. But I just think it's um, it's it's competitive, and then like competitive you know, Chandler with a bit it definitely of like showmanship. Yeah, competitive with a bit of showmanship, and then like Chandler did feel a little disrespected by how Poirier treated him when he came into the UFC. So yeah, I I think that's the fight to make, man. I mean, as much as I would love to see Nate and, and Dustin, it just doesn't look like it's gonna happen. Even though it seems like that's the easy route to go. Yeah. Uh, if we're going to move on, then let's go Poirier and Chandler for sure. My my preference would be Dustin Nate. Yes. That's but, right, yeah, absolutely. Um, if we're going to move on, though. Yeah, but also at the lightweight division, yeah. We've got so many killers way up there. Yeah, let's go Poirier Chandler. And that somewhat takes care of, uh, you know, some of the, the log jam that's currently at the top of the lightweight division. All right, buddy. Good stuff. Uh, we will catch up again next week. And good luck on Saturday. Yes, sir, man. Good luck. Podcast is over.